Welcome to the alternative. The alternative. Hey, welcome to The Alternative on WebmasterRadio.fm. It's June 28th. Oh my God, it's like almost July. We're coming here sponsored by the ISEDN.org. I'm Jim Hedger from SitePronews.com, and I'm joined by Dave Davies from Beanstalk Inc. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing very well. How are you, Jim? I'm great, man. I'm blown away. It's almost July. Like, like where the hell did June go? <laughs> I know. My kids are uh, in their last hour of school right now. You're uh, kidding. Like, like you're, you're ki- this is the last hour that they've got to be in school. Tomorrow you got the kids at home all day? Uh, that is correct, and uh, I feel for uh, my wife. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Your oldest one is getting into Google AdWords now. He's got that um, Pokemon site up that he's, what, bringing like 25 30 bucks a month on? That's correct, and we're going to be working on a video game review site over the summer. Oh, so. geez, dude. I mean, like, it's good that your kid's home. Set him to work. <laughs> That's right. Set him to work, man. He's going to make you lots of money. Is he, how old is he, 9, 10? He's 9 and, uh, and wanting to save up for, uh, for a Wii. So I'll give, help him uh, get the means to do that. You know what? I want him to buy a Wii too, really badly, really, really, really badly. It's the only way I can like go over and beat up on him. <laughs> anyway, we got a lot to talk about today. There's a lot of neat stuff happening out in the industry, and uh, we got a great show coming up. Um, first, uh, our guests. We got some some excellent guests on today. Our first one is um, Ken Leonard. He's the CEO of HackerSafe, um, a digital certificate company that. Um, just signed a well. They signed a pretty big deal with one of the big players, and we'll let Ken tell you about that in a few minutes. Um, we also we're going to be um, closing the show with a great interview I was able to get in Toronto with um, Joe Milana from the Fair Isaac Corporation. Now, listeners might remember the click fraud study that that Fair Isaac is running uh, along with Sempo, and um, about a month ago, uh, Joe released preliminary data that said click fraud was in the 10 to 15% range and well he got a little bit he got a little bit panned for for releasing that data so early um, we got a chance to talk to him um, about 20 minute conversation and that's coming up at the end of the show but um Dan, I got I got some sad news in this in the search industry to report and what is that my friend well you remember um, you, you, you know the form threadwatch eh yeah. who doesn't yeah well as of tomorrow Threadwatch is, is going blank. Um, Aaron's pulling the plug, shutting it down. I heard. And that is, it's like the bit of an end of an era right there. Absolutely. Uh, it's been around for three and a half years. It's, it's by far um, one of the most popular discussion sites. And um, it's definitely, definitely the edgiest of the discussion sites. But um, I guess Aaron, Aaron Wall from SEO Book Fame bought the bought the site about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, off of um, Nick Nick Wilston, who uh, who started it in the UK. And when Nick started it, it was uh, it was meant to be really controversial. It was meant to grab threads from the various search marketing and and online marketing forms out there, and you know, out the idiots, be outrageous, and add to the general conversation. Their their uh, motto was more signal, less noise. Um, and I guess in the in the evolution of it, uh, at least according to the note that Aaron left at Threadwatch on Monday, explaining why he was shutting it down, um, other bloggers have become edgier. Um, the uh, people are using are using the same tactics that Threadwatch used to become so immensely popular, like using outrageous headlines, um, using well outright link bait. To, to, to capture visitors that, I guess Aaron was saying, he'd have to become even more outrageous to the point of being absurd to, to keep going and keep staying out there on the edge. Um, and it also got to the point where, you know, it was like an open commentary space, so no matter what you put up there, someone was going to call it shitty. Someone was going to call you down on it, and it's no fun running a community like that. And, um, well, lastly, I guess the, the, one of the big reasons he shut it down was because of dig. Threadwatch has a has a high reputation in the community, although search marketing has a low reputation over at Dig. Um, I guess some of the editors um, who actually out themselves in the Threadwatch forum 
um, some of the Threaditors started spamming the hell out of Dig using Threadwatch as the vehicle. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, that and other stuff happening in Aaron's life, he, he's shutting it down. Well, and I mean, you know, it's, it's in some degree, I hate to see it fall, but it's, it's good that he sort of recognized that there's enough stuff that, uh, you know, he's wanting to focus his attention on and, and get out, you know, don't just let this thing die uh, because the quality gets worse and worse and worse, but just shut it down while, uh, while you still, you know, it's still a good, respectable property. And, um, you know, it is the end of an era, but, you know, good for uh, Aaron. I know he is going on to some other endeavors and, and things that are eating up, uh, eating up his time. So it's certainly not a bad thing for him personally. He's replacing it with, uh, with just some other endeavors, so... You know what I think would be really cool? I mean, one thing, this is a dynamic, a dynamic industry, so no matter what, something's going to spring up to take its place. But one of the things Aaron was known for was experimentation, was like just, you know, messing around with stuff, seeing how things worked, tinkering, and then writing about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, uh, maybe he'll have more time to do that, and that would be really cool. And, and to Aaron and to Dave and to Nick and to Brian and to everybody who threw so much into Threadwatch and gave so much to the community, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, we're really, really going to miss you. Speaking of experimentation, Dave, you were—we were talking earlier about your experiments with the uh, with the rel equals no follow tag. What's what you, what you doing? Yeah, well, I couldn't quite buy the the commonly held belief, or, or common, the one that seems the most prevalent, um, is that links using the rel equals no follow essentially held no weight, and if they held some weight, it was only in the instances where. Um, a site already had links pointing to it using the anchor text that would, uh, you know, that in otherwise or, or in the experiments um, use contained the rel equals no follow. So a link to, um, you know, the Beanstalk site, for example, would have SEO services. If the first one in was a rel equals no follow, it wouldn't be counted. But if the first one in had uh, was a normal link and then another one with rel equals no follow, then the rel equals no follow would count. Um, I couldn't buy it, and uh, so over a couple weeks, we ran some experiments using, uh, you know, a term that didn't exist anywhere else on the internet. Um, and lo and behold, um, the site began ranking for it. When all we had done is built a few, uh, a few links from forums and, and the such that were uh, sort of attaching the rel equals no follow attribute in. Um, and sure enough, uh, the site uh, does rank. For the phrase, or, or appears for the phrase, it's not one of the top ones. Of course, the other pages have uh, have the BSI SEO INC um, actually on their pages, so they're outranking uh, the site itself. But it appears in the Google index, which was an indication that no rel equals no follow um, does these links do still hold some weight, even though there's no pre-existing uh, links using the same anchor text. Well, um, what kind of cases would you use this trick? Like, like you've been experimenting with it a bit, and you're going into your second round with it. Um, what are you thinking, though? What, what, what industries would be interested in this? Um, well, I think, you know, mainly it's for our internal use and other SEOs. I mean, once we know that a link with, <laughs> that does contain the rel equals no follow attribute, once we know uh, that it does contain weight, okay, now all of a sudden we know these links are useful. Um, in round two of this experiment, we're going to determine exactly how much weight um, a rel equals no follow link has uh, in comparison with uh, a standard link, all else being equal. Basically, we're going to be building two identi- identical in keyword density and placement websites, building essentially identical links for number of links on the page, quality of the link, uh, relevancy of the link, but building one with rel equals no follow, one with just standard links. Um, and then slowly boosting up the ones that are rel equals no follow until we hit a scenario where the one where all the links are rel equals no followed um, surpasses um, the uh, the site with just standard links. At that point, we will know what the the weight distribution is. Once we know that, um, as an SEO, this all of a sudden means you have a, a measurable. Um, you know, sort of criteria by which to gain, you know, I know when, when we're doing link building for our clients, we're basing this on numbers that we can see. Well, when we know how many rel equals no follow links equals one uh, standard link, then we know that if we're getting rel equals no follow, we just need to do X number more, but they do count. Uh, do. And so, you sorry? Yeah, have you, have, you, have you got this, like, written up anywhere? Um, we've done it. Actually, I'll just post here. We've got the first round of stuff. I just posted it into the uh, Webmaster Radio chat. Um, and it's the location of our blog. It's the, the last post. 
um, on there is the conclusion of this test with links to the beginning of the test. Um, and of course, we'll be posting our updates on, uh, on the next round once that's out, once the next round and we have established exactly how much weight these links have. Um, we'll also be publishing some articles on it um, to give a little more detail as far as how we're calculating the weight and, and what types of sites these things are on. Um, you know, as with anything, there's a few variables we can't control, so we'll have to list those, and so we'll do that uh, more openly in, in articles. Well, dude, uh, that's really cool. When, when you do get them written up, um, obviously I, I want you to send them over to me. Um, actually, to, to me and Site Pro News, and, and actually Site Pro News has a, has a big announcement we're making this week. You know, um, I was going to ask you, as I heard Monday, rumors about a Monday. As of Monday, uh, uh, July the 2nd, we're opening sitepronews.com.au, um, an Australian version of Site Pro News, um, the first of what I'm hoping are going to be several editions of, uh, of the new and improved sitepronews.com. So we're going to be publishing an Australian-focused web magazine as well as our North American and international-focused magazine at, at sitepronews.com. So uh, friends down under... Um, Please, uh, as of Monday, uh, it's the beginning of your fiscal year. It's a great day to start uh, a new magazine to read, sitepronews.com.au. And in sitepronews.com.au or sitepronews.com, you might be reading about uh, the net neutrality debate, which is raising its damn ugly head again. Yeah, I thought we'd, we'd, we'd covered that here uh, back last month. Uh, with Senator Jordan kind enough to join us, I, you know, I'm a little flabbergasted at the way the way this all went. Well, obviously uh, the FTC just wasn't listening to our show, were they? The, those, those folks in Washington, they, they just got to smarten up and start listening to Webmaster Radio and get the real skivvy. Um, just so uh, listeners are um, are are understanding what we're talking about, the FTC um, is likely to. Well, rule against net neutrality provisions. Um, they're, they're, they're likely to rule to, to suggest that no laws be passed protecting net neutrality. Um, as uh, one of our friends at Web Pro News put it this, this morning, um, I can hear something happening in San Jose now. Um, as, uh, as our friends at Web Pro News put it this morning, um, the FTC drank the telco Kool-Aid. Um, I guess the, the lobby effort from the telcos is, is pretty heavy. Um, we're talking AT and T and Verizon and Sprint and and this, I mean this is something that the that the, the American public has really got to be concerned about. And not only have they have the Americans gotten worse broadband than anybody else in the world, they got it much later than anyone else in the world. And the largest corporations, the the, the real gateways, the choke points, are choking off innovation. They're 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 stopping new entry into the market. They're 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 preventing competition, and they will be rising raising your internet prices, which friends from an international perspective really pisses us off because that's going to be raising the bar for us to, you know, it's going to be raising our prices, going to make us work that much harder. It's going to be that much harder to be a webmaster, an independent webmaster, without net neutrality. So American cousins, please <laughs> talk to your Congress people. Um, have them talk to the FTC. Um, maybe we should start our own lobby and start making donations to both Republicans and Democrats. Not that that will really make a difference. Anyway, that's my. Uh, I'm, done, I'm done kvetching about that. Do you have anything to say besides you're flabbergasted? I, I am. I mean, I just their tagline: "Protecting America's consumers of the FTC," and uh, and this it it just does not fall in in that category. So. Um, you know, yeah. Same thing you said is, is right to your to your congressman and, and get your voice heard because this just it doesn't work for any of us. Um, and yeah, we're all even those of us that don't live in the states are going to be affected by this. So. Um, okay, uh, shifting gears a little bit, Dave. Um, one of our listeners, SEOpedia, has asked if you could repost the uh, rel no follow link in the in the Webmaster Radio blog. I guess uh, SEOpedia just joined and. Um, Join just after after you sent it down. So if you if you could do that again for him, um, I'm I'm sure SEOpedia would appreciate it. Perfect. Um, just we have to go to break here on the alternative, but before we do, want to want to give a shout out to Lisa Barone from uh, Bruce Clay Incorporated. Um, it's Lisa's birthday today, so happy birthday, Lisa. Um, I guess we everyone listening owes you a drink. <laughs> We're going to be back in a few minutes here on Webmaster Radio FM. We're sponsored by the ICDN. I'm Jim Hedger from Site Pro News. This is. Dave Davis from Beanstalk, Inc. Stick around. We're coming back with Ken from HackerSafe. 
Generating buzz for your company is essential and now easier than ever with PaperPost, the consumer-generated advertising network. Our powerful network of bloggers at PaperPost will creatively expose your product or service through original link-generated ads and embedding video or audio on their sites. Launch your viral marketing campaigns with confidence and enjoy increased traffic with higher conversion rates only through PaperPost. Visit PaperPost.com and join the revolution. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. And now, transport back into the alternative on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's your host, Jim Hedger. Welcome back to the alternative here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It's June 28th, and uh, Dave and I are joined by Ken Leonard, the CEO of HackerSafe. This is going to be an uh, interesting, interesting segment. Um, Ken, welcome to the alternative. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You guys, well, there's, a, there's so many things I want to ask you guys about. Um, but first off, you just you just signed a large deal with Yahoo. Um, Ken, what is HackerSafe, and how wh- wh- what is the deal with Yahoo? Um, well, yes, we're very excited about this new deal with Yahoo, and it is um, uh, the first time that a uh, so-called trust mark has been included in in search results. And uh, what the HackerSafe Trustmark is, is it's an indication that a, a website passes daily uh, security audits to assure that hackers cannot get to uh, their shoppers' data, credit card information, and those types of things that we all know hackers are always after. And um, what uh, HackerSafe does is um, it certifies that the merchant uh, undergoes a, a very thorough uh, vulnerability audit and security audit um, on a daily basis. The, uh, we control the HackerSafe mark so that uh, if the merchant doesn't pass these security tests, the mark disappears. So uh, uh, shoppers on those sites get a real-time, uh, authentic um, indication that the uh, website they're on is a safe place to shop. Well, when you say it's a safe place to shop, uh, that the consumer is protected, what do you mean? What, what, what are you guaranteeing? Well, we're guaranteeing that the website is passing uh, the industry standards of security. Um, there's a uh, uh, standard that's published by the uh, payment card industry, uh, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and others, um, which defines the security level to which a website uh, should be maintained in order to assure protection of the credit card data that's transacted on that website. And um, uh, we're uh, authorized by uh, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express to test websites to that level of security, and uh, which is what we do. And we do it on a daily basis because... Um, as all of your uh, listeners know, you uh, are often making changes to your website and introducing new uh, features and functions, and uh, those might inadvertently introduce new vulnerabilities and new ways for hackers to gain access to a site. So um, we test our, our customers on a daily basis. If we find anything, we alert them. So uh, the regime is that uh, first we scan them, then we alert them, uh, hence the name of the company. And then we'll certify them to our uh, HackerSafe security standard and allow them to have that HackerSafe mark. Now, what can you tell us about the Yahoo deal? Where are we going to see it? Um, what effect is this having on results, if any? Uh, or what, you know, as much as you can tell us, anyway. Sure. Um, we've, we've just rolled this out uh, a little over a week ago with Yahoo. And uh, right now, the HackerSafe uh, image is showing up in Yahoo Shopping, which is their uh, comparison shopping portal. And um, they have about uh, 40 million unique visitors a month to that shopping portal, um, and uh, tens of thousands of merchants are displaying their wares there. And what happens is, is when uh, 
a shopper goes there and uh, searches for a particular item to buy, uh, they're presented with a list of the merchants who sell those uh, those items, and uh, often they'll make their uh, decision on which merchant to buy from based on the price comparison, and there's also some information about the reliability of the merchant. But what's been missing is uh, information about the security of the merchant, uh, and a lot of uh, consumers want to make their buy decision based on um, an independent certification that the merchant's website is actually safe from hackers. So what Yahoo has done is they've put the hacker-safe image right up there next to the uh, to the merchant's uh, domain name and logo in the in the search results, so that the the at a glance the shopper can easily see um, who's certified to the payment card industry and who's certified to that hacker-safe standard. And who's not? And uh, they'll often uh, make their buy decision based on that. In fact, we've done a lot of testing um, with, uh, with with search placement, and it uh, shows uh, about, on average, a 10 to 12 percent increase in the number of clicks uh, that a merchant receives uh, when they have that hacker safe certification mark there. And then overall, it, it shows about a 14 percent increase in click to sale ratio which is that important uh, thing the merchant's looking for, is uh, once you get them to visit your site, how do you get them to buy? And uh, so the HackerSafe image appearing directly in search is giving those uh, merchants the uh, advantage of, uh, of, of appearing and standing out um, and giving more reasons for a shopper to choose them uh, than just price. And in fact, one of the most interesting things about it is is that our testing has shown that um, security and trust trump price, and often the uh, the consumer deciding to trust a website is uh, a more compelling to reason to choose to buy a certain object from them than just price alone. And I think we've all seen that um, the prices can vary from one website to another as we shop, but we 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 often don't choose. Uh, to place our order just based on price, but on the reliability and safety and security um, that we feel we have uh, with a particular merchant because no one wants to take the risk of having credit card fraud or identity theft just to make a simple purchase online. Well, yeah, and it's really hard to know where you're safe and where you're not safe. Um, now, now you're, you're saying your, your tests through the Yahoo shopping system are able to um, well, basically bring one-sixth more customers, more conversions. Um, to stores inside the Yahoo system, correct? Correct. Uh, that's about, 14, uh, on average, that's what it works out to. Now, you have about 75,000 um, other clients outside of the outside of the, the Yahoo Shopping network. How right. has it increased their conversions? I imagine those numbers would be, would be somewhat different being in a different yeah. environment. Uh-huh. They're, they're, they're a little different, and they vary from about 3% to about 30%. And that sounds like a very wide uh, variation in, uh, in uh, sales uh, increase due to HackerSafe uh, certification. And uh, really, we've done a lot of uh, testing and studying of uh, exactly how this uh, works and why we see uh, different increases on different merchants. And basically, we've... Uh, Discovered that it's uh, that there are two things affecting the uh, conversion rate increase, if you will, from the HackerSafe mark on different sites, and that's uh, basically based on the customer demographic of the of the site. In other words, uh, are they selling um, expensive items to an affluent uh, um, market? Are they selling inexpensive items to young uh, to, to young people? So uh, that. The way that works is that you split your visitors into either they're the um, uh, older, uh, more affluent uh, type of shopper, or they're a younger, uh, more carefree type of shopper. And and, uh, good examples of that would be uh, a website selling uh, CDs, where it's mostly younger people buying CDs online, uh, uh, music CDs, and uh, the average sale price, uh, you know, fifteen to twenty dollars. Um, whereas uh, uh, sites uh, selling uh, expensive furniture to, uh, uh, especially to uh, older uh, demographic, will experience a much higher. So we have on one side um, 
a lower conversion rate increase with a younger clientele or with a less expensive product and a higher conversion rate with a older clientele or a more expensive product. Uh, a good uh, example of that is um, Warner Brothers Studios. They did a series of tests with the um, HackerSafe image on their sites where they're selling uh, uh, movie paraphernalia, Harry Potter dolls, for instance. And um, they ran this series of tests, and they uh, demonstrated an 18% increase in conversion rate. And we thought that was quite remarkable for a well-known brand such as uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, and they uh, concluded that it was really their customer demographic that had made it uh, have such a, a much larger impact than expected. Uh, it's certainly not children that are buying the Harry Potter dolls. They're quite expensive, uh, selling for <laughs> well over $150. And they told us that it wasn't even the parents that were buying them. It was actually oh. the grandparents. Grandma and Grandpa were buying the dolls. And so there you have a case of the, of the trend that the older the, the demographic, the more risk-adverse they are, the more skeptical they are of the Internet. Um, and so you have a, a well-known brand like Warner Brothers getting an 18% increase in conversion rate uh, from having their security certified. Um, on the other hand, we have... Uh, sites with very strong, well-known brands um, who are selling uh, kind of inexpensive uh, um, uh, products and that uh, will receive a 2 or 3% increase in conversion rate. And, however, on these well-known high-traffic sites, uh, that will translate into uh, sometimes over a million dollars increase in their uh, sales uh, just from a 2 or 3% increase in the conversion rate. So we see, we see a lot of mix in conversion rate, but it generally follows that theme of the, uh, the higher the price, the older the demographic, and uh, if the higher the conversion rate lift. Or in the case of a big brand uh, with a uh, uh, clear leadership in their market, um, it's still uh, even a, a single-digit increase uh, still translates into a significant amount of uh, profit increase for their site. So generally, across the board, a significant increase due to uh, security certification. Now, on that um, sort of on the tangent of statistics, now something, as far as I know, that you've fairly recently um, added into the sort of milieu of offerings um, is live person with HackerSafe as opposed to, you know, we're all familiar with live person. Um, not yeah. everybody may be aware that it can now be HackerSafe certified. Have there been statistics done yet as to um, people's comfort or, or yeah, renewal of, of interest in, in what sort of information they're willing to give out over chats now that that chat can actually be sort of insured safe? Yes. In fact, uh, LivePerson uh, originally approached us about having their chat certified to the HackerSafe standard. And one of the reasons they were interested in this is that they were getting a lot of feedback from their uh, merchants' uh, customers uh, saying that, um, visitors to their websites were very reluctant to enter their credit card data online, but were, were willing to put the credit card data right in the chat window for the, uh, for the customer service rep to use to process an order. And they saw that, um, uh, that people were skeptical of, uh, of placing orders online and were very interested in reassuring them that chat was a safe place uh, to, to communicate with the merchant. And so I uh, went through the process of having their chat infrastructure tested and certified. And um, I might add that um, we, uh, we often find uh, security uh, issues with our customers. Seventy-five percent of our uh, customers fail the test when they first sign up for HackerSafe. Of course, all of them come to us thinking that they're secure, but... Uh, uh, 75% of the time, two-thirds of the time, we do find a serious vulnerability uh, with a customer. We immediately help them to, uh, to fix that or patch it, and uh, we help them to maintain that uh, level of security on a daily basis. So um, our, our thinking is that the consumers uh, have a right to be skeptical with 75% of the websites failing a security test and with a big spectacular um, Hacker break-ins such as TJ Maxx, where they uh, hackers uh, made off with 40 million credit cards from their network, um, and uh, and we think that LivePerson was quite correct in in wanting to reassure people that they could chat 
um, that they could even transact through these uh, uh, chat windows in a very safe, uh, secure environment. Well, Ken, I'm sorry. I'm being, I'm being messaged from the, from the booth that we're out of time on the segment. There's a, about a dozen other questions we'd want to ask you. Um, but you've heard it here, folks. Three out of four websites will not pass uh, a security audit. That's right. Look for a hack. Oh, sorry? I said that's that is- right, and it was a great pleasure to be with you today. Well, again, thank you for being on. Thank you for taking the time, sir, and ex- explaining HackerSafe. Congratulations on the Yahoo deal. That's um, that sounds like it's 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 great for ScanAlert and HackerSafe. It's um, great growth for your company. And friends, um, either look for the brand or get it on your sites. Thank you. We'll be it's back a in a few being moments here. with uh, with Joe Milana. He's the chief re- chief scientist at Fair Isaac Research. Um, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies on the alternative. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great segment. The Alternative on FM. We'll be back after this short commercial break. Online advertisers unite. Pay-per-click prices are up and customer service down. In order to compete, businesses must find an alternative like LookSmart. LookSmart is your budget-friendly online advertising alternative, offering businesses of all sizes affordable, targeted, pay-per-click advertising. Log on to ppcpowertothepeople.com and join the revolution today. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. And now, transport back into the alternative on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's your host, Jim Hedger. So we're back here on The Alternatives on webmasterradio.fm, sponsored by the ISEDN.org, and we're joined by Joe Milana, the chief scientist at Fair Isaac Research. Um, Joe, welcome to The Alternatives. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, I want to give the listeners a quick background on what Fair Isaac is, um, the, a little bit of the history on Fair Isaac, and um, I want to move into why Fair Isaac is getting, is, is focusing uh, its it, it sights on the PPC market and particularly on click fraud. But first of all, what is the Fair Isaac Corporation? Fair Isaac is a company that's been around for a number of years now where we specialize in providing analytic applications that help our clients make smarter decisions. Uh, what we typically do and what the clients, our clients typically have are large volumes of data, and we help them understand that data and understand the information in that data in order to make smarter decisions by applying uh, advanced analytics uh, and uh, high-speed uh, software that can convert information in the time that they need it to make better decisions. Now, years back, wasn't Fair, didn't Fair Isaac start as one of the very first credit verification services? Uh, yes, in fact, yeah, it, uh, Fair Isaac is now uh, fifty plus years old. Uh, we introduced the whole notion of scoring into the credit lending world to uh, look at individual uh, consumers that you are going to make a lend to, or that you are already have as a client, and to uh, make a risk assessment regarding um, their behavior. And that led to ultimately what's now called the FICO score, which is a, the score that is delivered with the credit bureau reports to lenders. And that score is used by the lenders to assess the overall risk of any particular loan or ongoing relationships they have. Okay, so Fair Isaac has uh, earned its reputation over the last 50 years. Um, it's very well known, one of the, one of the uh, larger of the credit, credit scoring companies. And um, as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong on the, on the history, yes, mm-hmm. but recently SEMPO, the Search Engine Marketing Professional Organization, um, got involved with Fair Isaac. I'm not sure if they contracted you or you're, you're doing this as a as sort of a joint project, but got involved with Fair Isaac to do a definitive study of the world of PPC and of, of, of click fraud. Is that correct? That, that's right. Uh, we launched a study uh, 
last summer. Fair Isaac did with the support from Sempo in order to understand uh, the problem of click fraud. And perhaps to give a little better background uh, of who we are in that regard, I mean, one of the major uh, product lines that we have is around fraud detection. We've been uh, providing uh, services, products to our clients for uh, 15 plus years now that provide uh, fraud detection. Um, for example, in the credit card world, which is perhaps our flagship product, Falcon, we provide to most banks in North America as well as banks around the world a software product that lives within the authorization system of that bank and on every credit or debit card transaction provides a score to the bank that provides an assessment of the risk or likelihood that this particular transaction on this particular card is likely to be uh, fraudulent or being conducted by criminal activities. And that is a information that is then used by the bank to perhaps take some sort of remedial action if it's deemed sufficiently high. So we have a long history of uh, developing fraud detection products in the financial world, in telecom, in healthcare, and so we've uh, so that when we started hearing about the problem of click fraud, which obviously has been in the media quite a lot, uh, we started to wondering, you know, what exactly is this problem, and then if you know, is this something that we could uh, make an impact on? And my being an R and D, one of the charters I uh, have is to uh, look at new opportunities, new markets where we could perhaps provide value. So was it Sempo who contacted you or you who contacted Sempo? Uh, I, the, the history, I actually think uh, Sempo came to us uh, and brought this to our attention. And then after some discussions, which went on for um, you know getting to know each other and then trying to, uh, for us to figure out what, uh, how we wanted to view this problem, then we came together and said, how about we... Um, we do this study, and, and Sempo said, great, we'd love to help you. Well, this might sound like, like a silly question, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in exploring how Fair Isaac has a, a, a long history dealing with, um, with consumer protection and uh, with fraud. Before you got involved as, as a company, uh, before you got involved with Sempo and with the study, did click fraud, did PPC fraud register on your, on your company's radar screens at all? It, it, it did to the extent that we, you know, we certainly saw a lot of stuff in the media uh, describing, you know, this issue. And at the time, we didn't know enough about the entire market to really appreciate uh, the extent of the problem or um, what... What ultimately is the problem in the sense that, um, you know, our initial, I mean, to be quite frank, our initial, my initial response when I heard about the, the descriptions in the newspapers or in the uh, other channels is that, gee, this looks like a problem that the search engines should be able to solve because don't they have all the data? You know, these are big companies, uh, the major search engines that have a lot of smart people, you know, this, whatever this problem is, they should be well positioned to solve it. Now, that, uh, that opinion has changed because I under, after I understood better the business model. Uh, well, you've, and you've now had a data chance flows, to look into... Oh, I'm sorry? And the data flows that are involved. Well, you've now had a few, uh, a few months, actually almost, almost a year, to look into the issue. Um, mm-hmm. And your opinions changed at, at, at the beginning going into it. You were thinking that the search engine should be able to get a handle on it. They should be able to figure it out very quickly. They have all the data in the world. Now that you've, you've been into it and you've seen the just enormity of, uh, of data they have to face, where are some of the roadblocks that are, that are stopping the search engines from taking um, more proactive measures against click fraud? Right. Well, I, the search engines are definitely making efforts to filter out traffic. They've recently, most of them have recently released the 
volumes of the filters that they have in place, and I've had a chance to talk to them, and I, you know, the people I've talked to, I sincerely believe are doing, you know, I believe them, that they're sincere about trying to do the best that they can. But what's at, what's at play here and what ultimately will constrain how good a solution they can provide is that they have traffic that regards you know, all the clicks that happen, but they don't know what happens to those clicks when they arrive at the advertiser site. They don't know what is you know, the quality of the trick of that click and, and the parlance that's being used today. Uh, you know, when they arrive at the site, what do they subsequently do? That kind of behavior on site is obviously stuff that only the advertiser knows. They don't want to share it for various reasons with the search engines. And that kind of information is a critical piece of understanding the type of traffic that is arriving at the advertiser site. So today, you know, the perspective is that this is fundamentally complementary information to what the search engines have available to them, and it's relevant information for understanding the type of traffic and pathological traffic that may be arriving at the advertiser site. So if, if, if I hear, heard that clearly, um, advertisers are complaining to the search engines about a, some degree of, of invalid click activity or click fraud, but by and large are unwilling to share the conversion data, um, what the, uh, the, the, the click or the visitor did when they arrived at the site with the search engines. That's, by and large, a good summary. Okay. Um, and the search engines themselves, um, they can't... I mean, I, I, I know that they do track once... They do track users once they go past the threshold of a page. But, again, the, the, without the, the advertiser entering conversion data into their, um, into their, into their ad campaign setups, there's not much that the engines can do to track um, click fraud or... Uh, the, 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 the life of that click past the threshold, past the, the PPC ad. Is, is that correct? Correct. Um, correct. What is the difference then in, 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 in the search engine's vocabulary between click fraud and invalid click, invalid click activity? Well, invalid clicks in, is in, in principle a larger set, a larger volume of traffic uh, because there are there is clicks that might arrive at the advertiser site that everyone agrees they simply shouldn't be charged for, and they're, they're, they arise from just from some sort of natural activity that is occurring. A very simplest one is the the the, du- the duplicates or double clicks that occur because a consumer, when they hit a link, um, press their mouse twice. And they instantaneously send two clicks to the uh, to search engine and ultimately to the advertiser's uh, site. And search engines have agreed that this is not a you know they shouldn't they shouldn't be charging the advertisers twice for that kind of click. So that's a, that's an example of what is being called an invalid click uh, that is not related to normally not related to any sort of attempt at click fraud. So so that's what would you know, be that would fraud? be invalid what? general language of invalid clicks. Click fraud itself is understood to be clicks that are rising from some source whose sole intent is to bleed the advertiser's budget. Okay. Um, what kind of data are you looking at in your study? Um, what's the breadth of it? And um, in, in as much as you can tell me, I understand that there's some stuff that, that you're going to be unable to actually talk about, but what's the breadth of the data that you're looking at? And um, I, I, I want to work into the call that, that you released last week for more data from advertisers. Currently, what do you have? Well, what we're looking for, and the type of data we're looking for, is the information that advertisers have available to them on their Web, on their sites, um, in their, ultimately in their web logs and, and behind their servers. Uh, what we're precisely looking for is very atomic level information about uh, each click that arrives through the PPC market to their site, uh, information about that click, where it came from, when it came, uh, etc., and then tie that to 
subsequent activity uh, to that visit, of that visit, uh, and ultimately what did they actually do on your site? Did they wind up in a conversion? How long were they on the site? How many pages did they scroll, etc.? cetera? Uh, so we want that kind of very atomic-level picture of all the visits that are coming to the advertiser. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, we want to be able to tie that traffic to the billing records that search engines are providing. Uh, search engines give these summary billing records, but they are a way, a handle, uh, by which one can um, assess how much of the traffic are the search engines already filtering. Because what one of the points of this study is not just to say, well, there seems to be a general milieu of, of a certain level of traffic associated with ClickFro, but you really want to understand, we would want to understand, is how much is of that pathological traffic is getting by and not being filtered by the search engines so that we can get an understanding of the impact ultimately to the advertiser of what they're being charged. Given the size and the scale of the PPC networks, what would you consider a representative sample of advertisers? We're looking for, I mean, I'll be very happy if we can get many dozens of advertisers of, with good quality traffic. I won't put a, a, any sort of lower limit on how much we'd accept. Uh, right now we have very, you know, a very limited sample of advertisers who have thus far contributed for various reasons. Um, we are looking for a much larger quantity. What we're looking for is high-quality uh, data, uh, preferably, you know, from advertisers that would represent different verticals within the market so that we could make a sound assessment of uh, the, the impact of click fraud on the various verticals within uh, PPC generally. And you're obviously um, able and willing to guarantee absolute confidentiality to those who, who volunteer their information. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the sort of the bread and butter of Fair Isaac's business, we, we add value to clients' data, and, and they uh, entrust us to uh, have their data and, and um, for us to oftentimes either you know, build a product or conduct a study like this using their data and keeping it completely confidential. That's been essential to the success of our business. We, in fact... Um, execute a non-disclosure act, an NDA, with each data contributor where we, in, we explain precisely, you know, what we're going to, um, that, that we will, in fact, keep them confidential. We will not release any contributors' names to the general market um, and talk about the data that they've contributed. Besides helping Fair Isaac complete the study, is there any incentive that you're you're offering data providers? Oh well, there's 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 two pieces to the study for each contributor. One is the general report that we will release publicly, so that we'll, we'll talk about it, or there'll be a general uh, report of what we've found and and a discussion of the methodology that we've used to make these assessments. Each. On the other hand, there's also each contributor will receive a private report about what we found on their data in particular. Uh, so th and that is a private report that is kept confidential, as we've just described. About a month ago, you released a preliminary, uh, preliminary findings from your study that put an estimation on, on, on what was called click fraud in the 10 to 15% range. What led you to that conclusion, and how solid do you feel that is? Well, these are these were early results uh, about the problem that we were reporting at our annual um, conference, and where we were giving an update of what we've been doing in in this um, arena and what we've thus far found. Now, it's again, it's on limited number of 
advertisers who are able to provide thus far the type of quality data that we've been require we've been needing in order to come up with these assessments. What we have seen, though, is a pattern across these advertisers that are very suggestive. And when we were able to um, make filter down and tie what we're seeing in terms of traffic to what an advertiser was billed, we could then make come to a conclusion that 10 to 15% of what we were seeing as pathological traffic was, in fact, being billed. Uh, but I, I, let me make a caveat or an explanation of this. The 10 to 15% figure that we saw is from the traffic that's coming over the ad networks. So the PPC generally has two major slices of the traffic, that which is coming over these ad networks, these affiliated sites um, on which the search engines are placing the links, uh, and, on the other hand, the traffic that's coming off of the search engine pages themselves, off of directly paid search. What we've seen thus far is what appears to be a reasonably large problem on the traffic coming off the ad networks. On the other hand, what we've seen from the paid search themselves is much smaller, and it's you know, perhaps no more than a percent or so. Well, that was something that uh, I know a number of people were wondering. Which networks went into the study? Were you, were you simply looking at Google and Yahoo, or were you um, bringing in the second-tier, third-tier networks as well? Um, uh, the, the results, yeah, that, that's, yeah, the, the 10 to 15 percent results I'm talking about is related to the major search engines. I don't want to go into more detail now because I don't feel like we have enough data uh, and advertisers to warrant any sort of discrimination uh, sensibly between the different the major search engines themselves. But that's what we're referring to. Um, there's cert- clearly we've seen traffic from the, the next tier um, uh, players, search engines, but we weren't reporting or talking about those. Okay. If um, advertisers were interested in, uh, in in helping you out and providing data to you, how would they get a hold of you, and, and what's the best way for you to accept that data? Oh, well, uh, the, <laughs> I did, I, I, like you said, we do need uh, more data. We're, this is, we are asking for advertisers who are interested to provide there's their uh, the data that they've collected. If it's historical data that they've had, that's great. If not, we could put in place plans to collect it as they're running live over the next few months. In terms of contact, uh, you've, you've got me a little bit by the uh, uh, um, position here that uh, I, I, the most direct way would be to email me. Um, uh, Joseph Milana at fairisaac.com. You can also simply send a uh, an inquiry to our marketing department in general, who you could uh, get off our website, uh, fairisaac.com. Um, so we have we have web pages. You can also uh, look for the web page on. Uh, that Tempo put up on their site announcing the study, and there are contacts there, uh, email address, etc., that you can um, use to get a hold of us. Okay, so there's a number of really clear paths that uh, that advertisers who you know might, who, who who might want to help get to the bottom of the the quick fraud issue um, can take to get a hold of you. They can use your email address. Um, which is Joseph Milana at fairisaac.com. They can go to the fairisaac.com homepage, get a hold of the marketing department, or go to the Sempo site um, and, yep. and choose from any of the, the emails associated with the study there. Um, Joe, what are, your, what are your next steps in the study? Where, where do you see this going next? Well, the, the next you know, big thing that we're looking for is just to get that feedback and, and uh, from more advertisers in order to bring this to a closure. I mean, we've talked about early results. They're just 
they're interesting at this point, but they're by no means uh, intended or expected to be a representation of you know, what the problem is out there uh, in the general marketplace. That's the whole point of the study itself, what we're trying to um, achieve, and we need to get advertisers to just, um, in whatever mechanism, committing to deliver us and bring help us conclude this study and give us data to do it to do that and that's our immediate next steps once we have that data you know we'll be able to analyze it and apply our techniques and, and bag of tricks to um, make assess the size of the problem and at the end of that we'll we'll deliver a, a report to the general marketplace of what was found we have to cut to break in a few moments, and I'm, I'm sorry, the time time always goes so fast in the show. But b- before we go, um, in your opinion, um, and, and from what you've seen, is there any any number of things um, that you could warn PPC advertisers to watch out for when setting up their campaigns? Like, what tends to trigger invalid click or click fraud activity? Um, that's a that's a good question, and the thing that highlights. Now, for recommendations I can make that both help the advertisers as well as the study would be that to recognize that there is this, you know, two major sources of traffic, which I'm sure everyone realizes, the paid search versus the ad network, and keeping track of those, that traffic independently, as well as keeping track of what search engines are charging them on an independent way is very important for them to get a handle on the value that each of these traffic sources of traffic is providing. So I would strongly urge that when managing their campaigns, they um, separate out the two sources of traffic through different, you know, explicitly different campaigns, explicitly different keywords, so that when they get the billing records, there isn't confusion. Uh, oftentimes, you know, the 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 campaigns are allowed to simply spill over from search onto the uh, ad networks, and then when you get a bi- the bills back, it's just all <laughs> confused. Um, Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Folks, there was uh, Joe Milana. He's the chief scientist of, and head of research at Fair Isaac Research. Um, that was a that was a great interview. It was really good to get a chance to talk to him. Um, I've been wanting to talk to him ever since that that report got released about a month ago. Um, and so, if again, I want to reiterate: if anyone out there has data they could share with Fair Isaac, um, it'll help well, it'll help Joe's study, it'll help Sempo, and it'll help the whole industry try to get to the bottom of uh, of the click fraud issue. And um, <laughs> I love you know I, I love doing live radio. I love doing this show. Now that that interview was taped, but. Um, while that interview was going on, um, it seems the thing we talked about at the early end of the show has made it out into the blogosphere. Dave, you be tagged, brother. I I have been. I, I don't know if uh, if the <laughs> the name or, or point of of the test that uh, we were discussing earlier, um, you know, is being painted with the brush that I might otherwise, you know, hope. But um, you know, I guess they took a slightly interesting point to it. Um, and this well, is on, even, even on a white background, you can't whitewash this, can you? No, you you're really can't. I'm just going to post it in there uh, into the chat just to make sure everybody uh, who may join has it. But, uh, yeah, on juicedevolk.nl, um, yeah, they, they took that point about the rel equals no follow uh, to write a post with the title blog-bound work with only in large well. quantities. They took that. They took the. They took your post about the about uh, the rel no follow to a logical conclusion, don't you think? I uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Why do, you, why do we write this stuff, eh? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna bug you about this for months. Eh? Yes, I mean, of course, what I was referring to was actually making legitimate comments in blogs and forums. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it is a, a fairly logical. A fairly logical conclusion. I, I I'm sure all the entire there, listenership but... joins me in sticking their lower lip out and nodding their head at you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> folks, that's it for the alternative this week. Um, it's been another jam-packed hour. We're going to be back again next week at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern time here on WebmasterRadio.fm. 
We're sponsored by the ISEDN. Um, this is Jim Hedger from SitePronews.com. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk-Inc.com, friends, thanks for listening. It's been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you next week.